The ugliest of the Bennett sisters long forgotten to time will have her story told. Just like her sisters, matters of pride and prejudice threaten to ruin her life. But will she prevail with the man she loves or will circumstances force her into a painful spinsterhood under the thumb of a cruel, empty headed mother? The book, The Other Bennett Sister by Janice Hadlow. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! This is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Alexis, um, one of the things that stands out in this week's book is the mention of a historian from the 18th century that was a woman. Were you familiar? Um, No, no. Neither was I. So let's get into this week's theme. Listeners, if you are a longtime listener, a short-term listener, you know that we begin each show with a short theme, a short little discussion inspired by the book we're reading. And this week, the theme is Influential Women Historians Throughout History. So in this week's book, we talk about or we hear about Catherine um, McCauley. Am I saying Mm -hmm. that right? McCauley. Um, So you weren't familiar with Catherine either. No. Our protagonist picks up a book from Catherine, um, names her as a historian, the writer of the history of England. Now, I did some research and Catherine was born in England, March 23rd, 1731. Um, So no doubt it was very um, unique for her to be not just a writer, but a historian and a respected historian. Um, Between 1763 and 1783, she wrote in eight volumes, The History of England. And it was like a political history of the 17th century. Um, So she was the first English woman to become a historian and during her lifetime, the world's only female historian. Now I'm going to talk about uh, three notable historians that after researching um, about Catherine, I discovered. Um, And the last one you may have heard of, Um, but continuing with Catherine in the 11th century, William the Conqueror invaded and occupied England uh, with an army made up of Norman, uh, Flemish and French soldiers. But anyway, Catherine felt that due to this conquest, England had lost its liberty and equality. And so with the history of England, she aimed to tell the story of the battles that won that freedom back for her homeland. She was very politically driven. Okay. Um, She did, however, support overthrowing kings who did not appeal to the will of the people, (laughs) including the execution of King Charles I. Oh, wow. Um, In addition to her strong nationalistic motives, she was a moralist of sorts. She believed only virtuous, quote unquote, virtuous people could create a republic successfully. Um, She was more concerned with the day's standards of propriety than she was with women's suffrage. Women's rights uh, in general were not really her concern. However, she openly criticized political leaders if she deemed them vain and immoral. In 1778, at 47 years old, she married the 21-year-old brother of a quack physician, Um, and and that union, um, kind of ruined her reputation in a lot of circles and led to her being widely ostracized because she married a youngin because she was a cougar. 
Yeah, and his family was not respectable. His um, brother oh. was a sexologist, which can you believe that existed in the 1700s? And he created yeah. um, a celestial bed, which I do remember reading about, but it was supposed to help infertility and impotence. And it had like a lot of lights on it. He was also kind of a student of electricity. So he was a quack. I don't know what you want to say. Um, That's what they they refer to him as a quack. He was probably quite inventive. (laughs) Yeah, scamming. Hey, so um, (laughs) she didn't have she was losing friends in England, but she found new friends uh, in the colonies. And she remained a friend of American revolutionaries, including George Washington, who invited her and her little boy husband over for dinner quite often. So did she leave after her scandal took flight? Yeah, she didn't um, retreat at all. In fact, when she died, um, George wanted to make sure she was set up. Uh, during uh, the last years of her life, but she couldn't travel all the way to America to take advantage of those provisions. She stayed home um, in her homeland, which makes sense because she was full of such nationalistic pride. It just probably didn't even dawn on her um, to leave. So that is that. And that's Catherine McCauley. I think I'm saying her name right. I hope so. Now let's move on a little uh, time later to the 20th century. We have Noreen Branson, also born in England, May 16th, 1910. And she was a British communist activist and historian. Um, She's interesting because both of her parents uh, died when she was eight years old the same year. Her mother from typhoid fever and then her dad was killed in combat. And this Mm. sparked like an anti-war path that she'd follow for the rest of her life. Um, But her, her grandparents were very wealthy. They were aristocrats and they even presented her formally as a debutante in court. But she had other plans for her life. Um, She started touring with the Bach Chorus and at a charity event, she met this artist, this painter who was also secretly a communist. And um, she married him a few days after they met. Um, So uh, her husband sparked in her this historian and activist Um, that she didn't even know was laying dormant inside her bones, Uh, distributing political pamphlets in poor neighborhoods. She was shocked by the poverty around her and she became anti-capitalist, just Mm. everything capitalism she hated. She used her background as a member of high society to move around without notice. She was like James Bond. She was like, oh, yeah, tea and crumpets and communism. (laughs) And she would spread the message of the Communist Party wherever she went. When her husband was arrested and held as a prisoner of war, she began working as a researcher for what was known as the Labor Research Department. And she specialized in welfare and social services. She published her first article in their magazine and continued to contribute for another 65 years to the publication. And after her husband was killed in World War II, she took over the authorship of the official history of the Communist Party of Great Britain. Adding volumes for years. Wow. So that's Noreen Branson. And then finally, present day, still alive, Annette Gordon Reed, born in the United States. She's American historian and law professor, a black woman. She's currently a professor at Harvard University. Have you heard of Annette? No. Well, she's noted for changing the narrative regarding Thomas Jefferson and his relationship with Sally Hemings and their children. Uh, I have heard of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
She was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for History, the National Book Award for Nonfiction, and 15 other prizes in 2009 alone for her work on the Hemings family of Monticello. She grew up in Jim Crow, Texas, and was the first Black child in her elementary school. She graduated from Dartmouth and Harvard, where she was a member of the Harvard Law Review. In 1997, began her uh, path toward, mm, I'll say, correcting a lot of the history known about Thomas Jefferson, specifically uh, regarding him and Sally Hemings, when she published Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, an American Controversy. Most academic historians had accepted the denials of Jefferson descendants and their assertion that the late Peter Carr, a married nephew of Jefferson, was the father of these black children. Um, Biographer James Parton adopted this narrative and it had been repeated for hundreds of years that, you know, Thomas Jefferson did not uh, father these children with the slave that he um, owned, but his cousin, his married nephew, excuse me, did. Um, Mm. Gordon Reed, Annette, analyzed the histography and identified the set of unexamined assumptions that had governed the investigations by many scholars. What do you think some of those assumptions were? That somebody else did and they were just trying to poison his reputation. Absolutely. Of course, there's a prejudice there because not just against blacks, but because they don't want this quote unquote great man to seem fallen. Um, Those assumptions also include that white people tell the truth and black people lie. So throughout the research and history, you could see how black uh, words were discarded and um, the white uh, story was always accepted as the truth. It was also an assumption that Uh, slave owners tell the truth and slaves lie. Well, Gordon Reed cross-checked the versions. I mean, really, she just did her due diligence like no one else did that. She cross-checked the versions of events provided by former Monticello slaves, such as uh, Madison Hemings, who claimed Jefferson as his father, and Isaac Jefferson, who confirmed Thomas Jefferson's paternity of the Hemings children, against documented historical evidence, uh, which they could not have access. So they would have stories throughout their family and there would be documentation to back it up that they could have never seen. She similarly mm. cross-checked oral traditions among Hemings descendants against such primary sources as Jefferson's papers and agricultural books. She demonstrated errors made by um, historians and noted facts overlooked conveniently which contradicted their assertions that one or more of Jefferson's car nephews had fathered the children. For example, um, extensive documentation of Jefferson's travels shows that he was at Monticello during the period of time when Hemings conceived and she never conceived when he wasn't there. So every Mm. time he in town, nine months later, she pregnant every time. (laughs) So Mm. um, also all of her children were freed. That was so rare. In fact, they were the only family to gain such liberty. And that was also consistent with what the descendants stated. Their mother was promised. Um, Annette Gordon-Reed's study stimulated a revival of interest in the topic, but there were critics. So in 1998, a Y-DNA study was conducted of direct male descendants of the Jefferson male line. Um, And they also studied the DNA of cars, the nephews. Results strongly suggested Thomas Jefferson was the father of the children. In addition to that, though, the DNA analysis conclusively excluded the nephews and their descendants as um, matching the lines of the Hemings descendants. So neither of the nephews could have been the father of Hemings children. 
The findings received national attention. PBS devoted a whole series to a lengthy program. They've mm. stimulated uh, new scholarship, new research. Yeah. Uh, major groups and historians have reassessed, reassessed their evaluation of historical evidence related to this issue, including the Thomas Jefferson Foundation, who in 2000, um, now they operate Monticello. They announced, right. oh, you're familiar, they announced yeah. that um, because of this study, they would change their exhibits, their programming, their research and other materials to reflect the truth. And in mm -hmm. 2001, the National um, Genealogical Society published a special issue on the topic. Its specialties demonstrated how their review of the weight of the evidence led them to, to conclude that Thomas Jefferson was the father of Hemings children. So that's that. Three women historians, starting with Catherine McCulley, who's mentioned in our book today, Noreen Branson, and Annette Gordon-Reed is still alive, still a professor at Harvard and a black woman from Texas. Fascinating piece of history. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I was really like, oh, into it. Wow. Well, are you ready to take a break? Yep. All right, let's do it. Alexis, can you give us some context um, about our author, Janice Hadlow, and perhaps her reason for writing The Other Bennett Sister? Janice Hadlow graduated from King's College London in 1978. She also spent time as a postgrad history researcher at Royal Holloway University of London. She worked for the BBC for more than two decades. She's got many career highlights. She currently lives in Bath. Her first book is called The Royal Experiment, The Private Life of King George III. And that was published in October 2014. Is that fictional? Book, no. Oh, okay. Okay. That's what to say. Ooh. Yeah, this, <laughs> the but book still, we, I'm sure it's juicy. Uh, I think it's going to be. It's very juicy. <laughs> The book we're covering today, The Other Bennett Sister, was published in March of 2020, and it is her first novel. Thank you for that, Alexis. Now, can you please give us a brief spoiler-free synopsis of The Other Bennett Sister? Five Bennett sisters, four swans with inviting characteristics. Mary is the middle child. She's seen as the plain, ugly, duckling, spectacle-wearing sister who is quite awkward and bookish. These are the traits everyone knows will keep her heading toward a life of spinsterhood. Despite what the others think, Mary must learn to find her happiness. Kari, who do you think would enjoy reading this book? Well, the obvious um, niche are those Jane Austen lovers. If you loved Pride and Prejudice, this is a great continuation of that story, focusing solely on the character you cared about the least, which is brilliant because you can make up almost anything about her. You haven't thought about Mary since she was playing that piano, embarrassing everybody. You haven't. <laughs> Well, this book challenge you, challenges you to know, no, think about Mary. So if you love Jane Austen, perhaps you'll love this story. And Alexis, what were your first thoughts of The Other Bennett Sister? How'd you even hear about this book? Listen, I wasn't excited to read this book initially, <laughs> um, but my friends were reading it and loving it and like, ooh, ooh, ooh. So I started to get that feeling of missing out. 
So it's like, I think I should read that too. All right. I love it. Well, Alexis, why don't we begin with part one, a deep dive into the other Bennett sister. You have the floor. Our story picks up before the events of Pride and Prejudice, which are covered in our first season. Oh, yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. So um, let's start by reintroducing us all to the Bennett family. We have Mr. Bennett, who is seen as a disengaged father. Um, But we have more detail. He doesn't really care about his wife. Do you remember when we read Pride and Prejudice? We were like, oh, he just loves her. That's just how they play. I kind of hate that this book ruined it for me, but the logic was sound. He hate everybody in that house almost, except for maybe three, three of his daughters. Three? That's a little high. (laughs) Anyway, um, she she had these looks, but when he realized that she didn't have nothing else. The wife. Yeah. Yeah. She was like, oh, God, I want out, but I'm going to stay. <laughs> so he pretty much stays in his library. Mrs. Bennett uh, and Kari had some choice uh, names for her. Uh, in our Pride and Prejudice episode, I yeah, eat go chicken head and, <laughs> and go digging cow. Yeah. <laughs> she is shallow. She is still that same person that is unchanged. Okay. And then they have the five girls. Jane is the eldest and she's considered the most beautiful in face and form. And she also is unassuming and modest. Elizabeth is the second eldest. She's not as lovely as Jane, but she has wit and liveliness. Catherine and Lydia are the two youngest and they are youthful and flirtatious. Mary is the middle child and she is said to have neither beauty nor wit nor charm. (laughs) The Bennets have no sons. The family has a comfortable living. They have um, a supporting household staff and their husband has credit. Um, They're considered respectable, um, a respectable family in society. As the book begins, it says it is a sad fact of life that if a young woman is unlucky enough to come into the world without expectations, she had better do all she can to ensure she is born beautiful. To be poor and handsome is misfortune enough, but to be penniless and plain is a hard fate indeed. Sound logic. Don't do it. If you cannot be ugly and poor, don't do it. Just don't. (laughs) Because the Bennets produce no sons, their property is subject to an intel, which restricts inheritance to male heirs. So instead of the estate going to the mother and the girls at the death of Mr. Bennett, it would go to a male heir of Mr. Bennett, some distant cousin. Um, And the women would be left with maybe five pounds and the uncertain charity of this distant relative. Wait, five pounds? Five pounds. Because there is a mention in the book that some men keep a mistress and give her, I think, 500, a salary of 500. Don't jump ahead. okay? just because you read the whole book. Let's not. No, no, no. no. All I'm just trying to say is that five pounds is really low. It is really low. I know it's not five thousand because um, Bingley has five thousand. And he's considered well off. Billionaire. Yes. (laughs) That's right. Okay. So. That's unfair. 
Mrs. Bennett was determined to have her daughters marry as quickly and advantageous as possible, meaning they needed to marry men with ample incomes and substantial properties. This was Mrs. Bennett's ultimate goal and desire for her daughters. Mrs. Bennett knew that she could accomplish this for her daughters because where they lacked large dowries, they won in beauty. Mrs. Bennett was convinced the pretty face was the single most valuable asset a young woman could possess. She's basically Kris Jenner. (laughs) She believed good looks trumped all other attributes. Mary lacked the looks and the charm of the other girls. And because of that, Mrs. Bennett wasn't as kind to Mary. She learned from Mrs. Mary would eventually learn from Mrs. Bennett that without beauty, no real and lasting happiness was attainable. That's what so her mother true. taught her. So true. <laughs> this is terrible. I, ooh, I hate that woman. Listen, Mary noticed her mother never spoke of her beauty. And by the time she was 10, she found out why. She overheard a conversation with her mother and aunt and learned that her mother felt that she was plain, an ugly duckling among swans, if you will. When Mary overheard her mother's negative expression, she also heard her aunt tell her mother to be kinder to Mary. Her harsh words might have an effect on her. Mrs. Bennett blew that off by saying Mary's looks were a great disappointment to her and they are excessively bad for her nerves. <laughs> she didn't like Mary's hair. It was too yeah. straight. It didn't curl the way that Mrs. Bennett wanted it to curl. And she blamed Mary for that shortcoming. I think Mary is in better looks today, remarked Mrs. Phillips, a little less pale than usual. Mrs. Bennett sniffed. It's kind of you to say so, sister, but I'm afraid I can't agree. For so young a girl, she has no bloom at all. Not like Jane and Lizzie. Their bloom is always very much remarked upon. Indeed, they are very pleasing, agreed Mrs. Phillips obligingly. And I doubt that Mary will ever be admired as they are. But sister, I wonder if you aren't rather harsh in judging her as you do. Perhaps she suffers by comparisons. If Jane and Lizzie were a little less handsome, then might she seem prettier in your eyes? I wish with all my heart you were right, but I'm afraid comparisons don't come into it. Mary is simply very plain and that's that. I blame Mr. Bennett's side of the family. We gardeners have always been remarkable for our appearance. Mrs. Phillip topped up her tea and looked for the sugar bowl. Well, I'm very sorry for the girl. It cannot be easy to be the only ugly duckling among so many swans. Yes, it is a great disappointment to me and excessively bad for my nerves. But I find that once I look at my other daughters, I soon feel better. So when she learned of her mother's feelings, she felt like she was the last to know. She felt like everybody knew she was playing. She was like, now why I didn't know that? I think so. I think and playing means playing. ugly. <laughs> Which I and was Mary, like, man. Yeah. And Mary internalized those feelings her mother had of her looks and com- began to compare herself to her sisters in a way she hadn't done before. And she no longer, because of this, she no longer had this innocent um, way about herself. She's no longer be, um, able to be a child. She lost her lightheartedness and took on a seriousness. 
Eventually, she would adopt this solemn, solitary, awkward personality as her nature. And it seems that her older sister stopped including her in things because of this new personality she had taken on. And while she believes Lizzie, her favorite sister, noticed her unhappiness, Lizzie did little to draw her out. And the two sisters, um, her two older sisters were really close and the two younger sisters were really close. So Mary just felt left out. She felt none of her family looked at her with affection. Now, I got to say, I think she only did that because she had no choice because sometimes this is not what people do. This is what you see. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I mean? Just- and, and it was easy to tell in Pride and Prejudice that the younger sisters were a gang and the mm-hmm. two older sisters are gang gang. So Mary just didn't have a gang in the house and the dad yeah. had locked up in the room and all the mom wanted to do is fuss. So yeah, it makes, it makes it easy to draw that conclusion. But if the way it was described really broke her my heart. Like, how dare I, she felt, how dare I laugh and run and mm-hmm. act as if the whole world is full of opportunity for me like my sisters when that's not true because I'm ugly. Yeah. Mm. Because of these feelings, Mary tries to make herself invisible. While her sisters love the frilly things, the ribbons, the hats, the lace, Mary chose to stick close to the plain things that didn't draw attention to her. Her goal was not to bring her mother displeasure. Mary seemed to have the one person on her side. And who was that, Kari? Mm, she has someone else. Oh, yeah. The um, caretaker of the house. Yeah. Um, yeah. Car- caretaker of the house. So Mary decided that since she had no control of her looks, she would focus on something she did have control over. She was going to focus on her intellect. She was going to read more. She was going to work harder at playing the piano. She decided that the best way to improve her li- intellect was to request a governess. She knew this was a hard ask, but after a few months of thinking about it, she finally asked her mother if she could have a governess. She told her mother her younger sisters would benefit from having one as well. They was like, oh, but I don't want one. I don't want to learn. So not only... Did her sister tease her about it? Her sister, Lydia, mocked her request. Her mother rebuked her for even having an interest in taking on more information. She was like, see, no one wants a governess but you. And I'm certainly not going to invest one just so you can be learning something. Yeah. Go learn how to be beautiful. Learn how to (laughs) curl your hair. Follow Jackie Aino on YouTube. That's what the mama (laughs) said. It was crazy. Her mother instead suggested that she read the books in her father's library. Now, Mr. Bennett was always in his library reading a book, and the only other person that would go into his library and read books was Lizzie. Mary felt her father didn't notice her, and he she knew that Lizzie was her father's favorite. She hoped that going to her father's library would mean that eventually she too would have a close relationship with her father. Going to her father's library, though, came with some rules. The library was not a place for conversation. He he didn't want idle questions. Rational calm was to prevail at all times. He was in a house with very silly women, and he didn't want their spirit to crouch, <laughs> crouch in on his space, his oasis. Yeah. And so he also wanted them to return the books exactly where he got them from. And Mary agreed with these rules so she could go and pick some books. Within her father's library, she found books to nurture her mind, 
books on history written by women and books written by men about how women should carry themselves. (laughs) Mary was already having slight issues with her vision. Um, But the more she read, read, the more she would have these vision issues. They became apparent to her. So she thought, what's the logical thing to do? I obviously need some spectacles. So can I just tell you that at this part of the book, I'm like, oh, no, this is a tragedy about a girl that goes blind. I forgot that glasses are an option. Get that girl some glasses. Are you are you serious? Yeah, I was like, oh, no, what Alexis got me reading. Oh, OK. Yeah, that's because you like to get that story told and predict yeah. it, right? Mm-hmm. OK, all right. Yeah. So she asked her mom if the Oculus could come by so she could be prescribed spectacles. Her mother's response was, why would you humiliate yourself in that way? Why? Mary just wanted to read books. She considered books a comfort and a refuge. Eventually, her mother would relent and allow the Oculus to come. Yeah, I think Lizzie says something, right? Like, why not allow her to stretch her mind or something like that? I think Lizzie sticks up for a little bit. A little bit she does. She's like, um, (laughs) oh, I can't remember. But she does stick up for her. (laughs) But Miss Bennett wanted nothing to do with the visit. Miss Bennett told her no man would look at you and every woman will pity you once you got those spectacles on. Miss Hill would stand by with Mary and work with the Oculus. So when the Oculus arrived, his name is Mr. Sparrow. He brings his son, John Sparrow, who is in training. Um... And they're going to select the perfect prescription for Mary. Captain John Sparrow. Just kidding. Okay. (laughs) Armed with her glasses, Mary could return to her books. Now, let's jump ahead to the first ball. Mary's first ball, in fact. News comes to Longbourn of an Coming ball. This will be the first ball of the season. Mr. Bennett tells Jane and Lizzie that they can go and Mary could go if she wishes. Never expecting to have this opportunity to attend the ball, Mary is surprised and thinks about if she even wants to go. Her dear friend, Mrs. Hill, gives Mary a pep talk about going to the ball. She encourages her to go. She reminds her that she doesn't have to wear her spectacles all the time. She tells her that she looks as good as most women. She's got clear skin, a decent figure. Her eyes are tolerable and her hair is pleasant enough. What a mediocre compliment. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said that. OK, great. And this person really has her best interest at heart. They just be honest. Yep. Yeah. You ain't Mrs. ugly, ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Hill even encouraged Mary to spend less time with her sister so she could see how the rest of the women look in the world. Mrs. Hill eventually talks Mary into going to the ball. Mr. Bennett tells the girls that they can't have new dresses for the ball. Of course, they're disappointed. But Mary has her allowance money and she and Mrs. Hill purchase some items to have a dress made for her. And it turns out lovely. So the night of the ball, Mary decides if she um, gets at least one dance that night, it's going to be really successful. Well, Mary gets more than one dance. She gets a dance with the Oculus son, John Sparrow. They have engaging and joyful conversation. He tells her his goals. He's never told anyone. And they dance twice. Mm. 
When John walks away to get Mary some refreshment, Charlotte Lucas, a friend of the family and close friends with Lizzie, walks up to Mary and tells her that she shouldn't dance with John Sparrow anymore as her mother wouldn't approve and that the young man is not a suitable partner for her. She should tell John Sparrow that she's not interested in dancing anymore this evening. Mary is quite disappointed, but she follows Charlotte Lucas's advice and tells John Sparrow that she cannot be his dance partner anymore. And part of it is she doesn't want her mom to get up and tell him for her and embarrass her. So instead of her mom telling him he can't dance with her anymore, she's like, let me just be kind and cold to you. Yeah. Of course, this embarrasses John because he thought they had a great time. He's also disappointed. Kari, without jumping too far ahead, can you remind (laughs) us who Charlotte Lucas is? Yeah. So Charlotte Lucas in Pride and Prejudice. Uh, was the one who, without jumping ahead, well, yes. Pride and Prejudice jumps ahead a little, but I won't go there. Charlotte is, again, um, the second oldest daughter, Lizzie, who's the main character in Pride and Prejudice, one of her best friends outside the family. Um, Charlotte is not very good looking to a lot of people. She doesn't like shine. You get the right. impression she probably is good looking, but she's just kind of dull and very practical and pragmatic. And she's not enchanting as a woman. Um, however, her mother doesn't belittle her like the Bennett mother does. So she has mm-hmm. some self-respect. Um, mm-hmm. She gets away in society or she gets her way through society society by mostly being um, self-deprecating in her humor and conversation. And people are like, oh, Charlotte, you really know yourself. You know you playing. That's great. Come hang out, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. And Mm -hmm. so after the party ends, Mrs. Bennett degrades Mary for putting her in the embarrassing position by dancing with John Sparrow, a man outside of their class. And Lydia teases Mary mercilessly about him. Yeah, what are you going to do? Marry him and then we can come visit you a little bell on the door and y'all can make glasses for us that we never wear because we too pretty? Is that what's going to happen? And Mary does her best to defend herself, but she is beat down by their words. She was like, but isn't Uncle Jack a... (laughs) Don't he have an office in the city? That's different. He owned the offices. He owned a bunch of businesses. He's wealthy. He don't look in people's eyes and make them wear ugly glasses. Yeah, there's a real problem with that. Anyway, after the ball, Mary decides that she would not make the same mistake twice. Instead, she would train herself to not allow her emotions to behave, betray her. So she would never be in a similar situation. She would dive into her books and find out everything she needed to know to keep her safe from further error. She would treat her books as handbooks, manuals of instruction on how to live a calm and rational existence. Mary found books that spoke contrary to her mother's training, books that encouraged women to gain knowledge and read more than novels. This finding brought Mary joy. Also, during this process, she decides she's going to create a book of some of her favorite quotes by her favorite authors and give it to her father. She thinks this will draw them closer together. 
However, one day in the library with her father and Lizzie, Lizzie breaks out in the laughter and Mary witnesses a heartwarming exchange between Lizzie and her father. Lizzie and Mary then have a brief conversation and she encourages Mary to have some joy in her reading. Maybe read a novel, laugh a little. Mary also learns that her father doesn't care about any of the authors that Mary has now begun to feel are her favorites. She can go... She can no longer give her gift idea of formulating the quotes of these men who she considers great in a book and give them to her father because he don't like them. He don't have much respect for them. <laughs> and it wasn't just ideas. She actually made this book. And these men, these um, uh, well, they're like self-help authors, but only for women. They know what women need to do. They they contradict her mother, which was refreshing for her because a lot of these men are saying women shouldn't worry about beauty at all. And thinking about um, silly things like uh, reading novels, that's the worst use of your time as a person and especially as a woman. Um, so she's like, Jane, I can't believe you're reading a novel. Um, you know, don't you know that women should read nonfiction? And Jane is like, girl, if you don't mind your business. And the dad is like, yeah, you do need to mind your business, Mary. <laughs> and Mary's like, oh, but this author said this. And, you know, it's from your library, dad. I thought you would respect it. And the dad is like, I don't even like that book. And everything the authors say, you've got to take with five fifths, fifth, fifths of salt. So no, Mary, no one is listening to you. And then him and Lizzie go, ga, 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 ga. I love you, little girl. And Lizzie's like, I love you too, dad. And they forget Mary in the room. Mm, so it's tragic. <laughs> so Mary decides to ask her father for some book recommendations. And he tells her that her tastes are very strenuous, strenuous for so young a girl. And that she doesn't seem to tend much towards the light, bright and cheerful. And... Mary agrees. She tells her father she wants to be informed, not entertained. So her father tells her to follow her own instincts and they will guide her better than anything he could suggest. Now, let's welcome a new neighbor. Now we get into the um, Pride and Prejudice portion of the book. The family learns there's an eligible bachelor moving into the neighborhood and Mrs. Bennett immediately sets a plan for him to marry one of her daughters. She tells <laughs> Mr. Bennett to make his introduction so they can meet him. And while Mr. Bennett initially refuses, he meets the new neighbor, Mr. Bingley. The family learns that they can meet Mr. Bingley at the next assembly. Is it the same as a ball? It's not, is it? Oh, this was in the book, though. Mm. Yeah. So what is an assembly? I think I a party. Know. I think a ball is more grand. OK. And the party is a smaller type of thing because they've just come from something a little more grand. This is yeah. more low key, I think. Okay, that party. makes sense. That makes sense. So Mrs. Hill attempts to encourage Mary to attend the assembly and wear the dress from her first ball. Mary is reminded how she returned um, John Sparrow's kindness with embarrassment. So while she decides to attend the assembly, she determines she will not wear the dress from the first ball because it doesn't suit her mood. She will instead wear a plain dress and sit, sit among the older ladies. The day of the assembly, we are introduced to Mr. Bingley's party. He has two sisters. One of them is married and a Mr. Darcy. And he got more money than Mr. Bingley. At the assembly, Mr. Bingley first dances with Charlotte. Next, he dances with Jane. And everyone can tell right off the bat 
that he likes Jane. Mr. Bingley encourages Mr. Darcy to have some fun and dance with the women present. Shortly thereafter, we learn that Lizzie overheard this conversation and Mr. Darcy refers to Lizzie as tolerable, but not tempting. (laughs) Mr. Bingley is lovely. Mr. Darcy is proud and rude. During the party, Charlotte has conversations with Mary. Now, Charlotte takes it upon herself uh, to have a conversation with Mary, one plain girl to another plain girl. (laughs) And she tells her that Charlotte says, I want to be married, but I have to let go. I have to let go of this idea of romance. She's now in it for a little money, a person or a man that has a little money of his own and who isn't unkind. And now that she's going... It's not that she's going to go around and start asking men to marry her, but she is tired of being a cheerleader and she's going to take the opportunity when it comes and seize it. And this kind of comes about because Bingley dances with Charlotte first, as Alexis said, kind of as like to show himself gracious, like, oh, I'll dance with the ugliest girl in the room (laughs) because that means I'm kind. Now let me go dance with the most beautiful all night long. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Charlotte And then then Charlotte's like, I'm kind of sick of this role. It's like this all the time. Mm -hmm. Charlotte told Mary that she was giving her advice and hoped that she would take it. She told her, don't waste her time waiting for something to happen. Don't long for what you cannot have. Learn to recognize what is possible and seize it. That is the only route to happiness for those who are born with neither beauty, riches, or charm. Like us. <laughs> That's what she said. That's what she said. Fuglies like us got to get real, girl. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some days later, the Lucas family invites the Bennets to a dinner party. This bothers Mrs. Bennett to no end because she is now concerned that Lady Lucas is trying to get, now that's uh, Charlotte's mom, Lady Mm -hmm. Lucas is trying to get Mr. Bingley for Charlotte. And everybody knows that Jane is the most beautiful and Mr. Bingley has already eyed her, but this enrages Mrs. Bennett. That's quickly cleared up when the Bingley sisters receive an invite the next day for Jane. (laughs) The Bingley sisters invite Jane to join them at Mr. Bingley's house. Now, Mrs. Bennett sends Jane in hopes that she would get sick and stay longer. Lizzie is incensed, of course, and demands, why would you do that? But indeed, Jane does get sick and she stays longer. Lizzie ends up going to couple days later to make sure her sister is well and she says oh no she's terribly off and she stays with her and then Mrs. Bennett is confident that after the time Jane spent with Mr. Bingley she will get a proposal and if you're confused about any of that you can either (laughs) read Pride and Prejudice or listen to our coverage of the book that's directly from it Mm -hmm. and we was mad about it too that girl could have died could have died At one point, the family is invited to come check on Jane, but Mary doesn't go. So, and Kari, can you kind of explain why Mary doesn't go when the family goes to see Jane? Yes, I can explain it. So Mary really does want to be 
a good girl who her parents love and admire. So the mom is like, Lizzie, don't go check on your sister, Jane, because you'll just get in the way. And mm-hmm. I want her to stay at the house for as long as she can to win over the affections of Mr. Bingley. And Mary goes, yeah, Jane. I mean, if it was re- I mean, yeah, Lizzie, if it was really a big deal, you know, um, mama wouldn't be so cool about it. And they would have called a hospital or something. <laughs> So Lizzie goes and finds her sister really, really sick. And Mary feels bad that she took her mom's side instead of encouraging Lizzie to go. Mm -hmm. That's some of those feelings that Mary is trying to squash down, but she's realizing that they come in handy when they they move you to action in some way. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with having feelings. She's learning that slowly. So while home alone, Charlotte, stops by and she shares more insight. She's like, listen, if Jane was over there all that time and she didn't do nothing, she wasted her time. And Mary is like, but she, I mean, she had just met that man. What's she supposed to do? (laughs) She got to get to know him. If she's sick, how can she do that? And Charlotte is like, you got to use your time wisely. Okay. It only (laughs) makes sense. Okay. A few days later, a guest is expected to arrive at the Bennett home. Mrs. Bennett believe it's Jane's proposal. Instead, it turns out to be Mr. Bennett's cousin, Mr. Collins. Mr. Collins is the one who will inherit everything at Mr. Bennett's death. Mr. Collins is a clergyman and he is looking for a wife and he expects to find one among his cousins. He is eyeing the beautiful Jane. The family doesn't quickly take to him. In fact, in fact, Mr. Bennett considers him absurd. He was pompous and puffed up. After dinner, the family tries, um, they get tired of being polite to him. And Mr. (laughs) Bennett suggests that Mr. Collins entertain them by reading aloud. A book is handed to him. It's a novel. And Mr. Collins says, I never read novels. Mary then rushes to his aid and brings one of her favorite authors, a book about sermons. And Mr. Collins we um, says, we shall not go wrong with this. Mary is happy by his response and wonders if they may share other interests. After Lydia interrupts Mr. Collins' readings with another topic, Mary goes to his, to his side to apologize and learn of his other reading interests. However, so this is really, this is really um, <laughs> kind of funny because he's supposed to have command of the room. Everyone is low-key making fun <laughs> of him. Like the dad is like, oh, do you practice the compliments you tell women? And Mr. Collins is like, yes, yes, I do, actually. <laughs> And everyone's like, oh, no, you don't get it. Um, So anyway, while he's reading, um, (laughs) the younger sister goes, you won't believe who I saw in town. (laughs) Hey, mama. (laughs) And even the mother is embarrassed, like, girl, we supposed to be pretending we care about this man so he can marry one of y'all and we don't lose the house. Again, Mary is trying to go to his side to apologize and find out more about him. See, you know, what are the books you like, fella? Come on. <laughs> Mr. Collins don't pay her no attention. He don't even linger in conversation with Mary. And despite Mr. Collins' negative attributes, Mary begins to think of him as a companion to discuss her favorite authors with. Maybe even a possible suitor. 
She begins to try to think of Mr. Collins as a serious partner in life. And while she knew Mr. Collins was eyeing Jane, Mary remembered Charlotte's words that a man's preference might be turned around by a woman truly determined to win him. Mm. So she needed to guide Mr. Collins to this conclusion that she was the sensible choice for him. But then she thought about John Sparrow and their connection and knew she would never have that with Mr. Collins. She then thought of what she just mentioned to Lizzie when she wanted to go to Jane's aid, that every impulse of feeling should be guided by reason. And it was time to apply that lesson to herself. She could not be influenced by unruly emotions. Mm. Mrs. Hill also encourages Mary to consider Mr. Collins, which emboldens Mary's plan. The next day, she presents her thoughts to her mother and is immediately put down. She learns that her mother has no interest in promoting her and that if her mother would not help her secure Mr. Collins for herself, that she must do it alone. She told herself there was no alternative to Mr. Collins. That is essentially she felt like that was our, her hope. She like he don't have to. He don't like to have fun. I don't like to have fun. We perfect <laughs> for each other. What more is needed in a happy marriage? Mm-hmm. And the mama is like, oh, Mary, don't nobody want him. I mean, won't you? She's, the mother is like, oh, Mary, real. don't nobody want you. For real. So what we need to do to keep this house is make sure one of the pretty girls <laughs> Uh, gets married to him because if we throw you at him we ain't never gonna see this house again he might kick us out today <laughs> so goodbye uh, Mary put herself out Mary put herself out there she was kind to him she tried to offer him books um, that he might enjoy reading but she just couldn't grab his attention she finally played the piano for him and she caught his attention but she wasn't able to hold it then there was word of an upcoming ball hosted by the Mr. Bingley. The whole Mm. family would come and Mary would use this opportunity to try to reel in Mr. Collins with her piano skills. And she was going to get some extra lessons too. She wanted to even throw in a little sing song. She been practicing. (laughs) She been, "Ah, She hitting them Mariah Carey's and she gonna show them. (laughs) And even though her music teacher told her that is not her strong suit, please don't focus on that. Focus on your piano skills. And Mary's like, with my intellect, my growing intellect, if I just try hard enough, I can sing like Whitney Houston, (laughs) duh. She like, I got this. I got this. Mm -hmm. Mary was determined not to be told what to do because she was trying to get a man. Off to the ball they go. When Mary asked Mrs. Hill to prepare the dress she wore for the first ball, Mrs. Hill is delighted. Mrs. Hill told Mary, this is the perfect occasion to show yourself off. On the night of the ball, Lizzie goes to tell Charlotte about Mr. Collins and together they laugh about him. Charlotte then gets some more detail from Mary and Mary explained all that she could recall. They go on to agree that Mr. Collins is not right for Lizzie, but he could be right for some other woman. As Mary speaks, Charlotte tells Mary that their previous conversations about Mary must have made a great impression on her. She said her conversation was like listening to herself. Next, it's time for Mary to perform. Mary's first piece went over well. It was brilliant. There was applause in the room. Her second piece, she had to sing. 
and she quickly realized that that was the wrong decision as the tone of the room changed. She should have listened to her music teacher. Singing was not her strong suit. Mr. Collins wasn't anywhere in sight. And after she finished playing, her father came up to her and told her, could you let somebody else play? Don't hog the piano. She wasn't finished. She was not finished. She had he braved the crowd and walked up to her and put a kind hand on her shoulder and said, girl, you're embarrassing us. Come on, darling. <laughs> Mary go. was ashamed and embarrassed. Lizzie came Has that on. ever been you? Have you ever sung for a room and no. felt like they were? You haven't? No, I sung for um, my um, sixth grade theater production, right? Yeah. And I almost won that, ma'am. So no, I haven't oh, had that experience. Oh, I love it. <laughs> well, I have tried out for many a musical confused by how I did not get the starring role. Dumbfounded. I still don't understand. Now, did the other person sing better than you? Everyone can sing better than me. So my intellect. <laughs> that is not the point, okay? <laughs> not the point. Oh, so, I see. Yeah. Okay. It's fine. Moving on. When Lizzie comes over to comfort Mary, Mary would not be comforted because she knew that Lizzie had sent her father over there to remove her from the piano. Mary told Lizzie she only did it to save her from embarrassment in front of people that she wanted to oppress. And Mary was furious. Charlotte came to the rescue and took Mary outside. And as they walked outside, Mary knew her chances with Mr. Collins were out the window as he paid her no attention, even at her most embarrassing moment. Yep. He's like, now too bad I didn't prepare a song <laughs> to dazzle the room. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. The next day was filled with excitement. And in that excitement, the family forgot that they had invited Charlotte Lucas over for a visit. The more that morning, Mr. Collins proposed to Lizzie and she declined. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. Bennett. Miss Mary thought this was an opportunity to try to gain Mr. Collins' interest, but she quickly reconsidered. Charlotte comforted Lizzie through Mr. Collins' intense interest and when he finally withdrew his claim for her heart. Mary, however, noticed that Charlotte's eyes brightened. Mary would later see that Charlotte was walking arm in arm with Mr. Collins as she Ooh. looked out the window. Then word came from Miss Bingley that Mr. Bingley and all their party were urgently called away to London, leaving Jane emotionally distraught because they expected a proposal. After a dinner at the Lucas home the following evening, everybody noticed how amiable Charlotte was being to Mr. Collins. However, when Mary questioned Lizzie of Charlotte's interest, Lizzie blew it off. Later, Mrs. Bennett would tell Mary that she is ready to present her to <laughs> Mr. Collins. <laughs> and Mary's like, but I asked for that like days ago. Ah, shut up, you ugly girl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mary is like shocked. She's like, it's too late for that. The opportunity is missed. Don't you understand? You're not even paying attention. Yeah. Soon after... Guess what we learned? Charlotte Lucas has accepted Mr. Collins' marriage proposal and they will be married at the end of the month. When mm -hmm. Lizzie hears about that, she is horrified. 
Mary and Charlotte discuss her new situation. Mary tells Charlotte that she did try to go for him, but he wasn't interested. Charlotte offers Mary a last bit of advice. She tells her, it's hard to persuade anyone, especially a man, that your regard is worth having if you have none for yourself. Oh, and then she's like, that's the last bit of advice I'll ever give you. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not, though. (laughs) Mary soon realized she wanted more for herself. She didn't want to be lonely. She wanted someone who would not think of her as awkward and plain, who liked the things she liked, someone she could love and would love her in return. She didn't want what Charlotte had. Charlotte didn't love Mr. Collins. She simply didn't want to be alone. Now, let's fast forward. Those are the fast forwarded events of Pride and Prejudice. Lydia gets married. Lizzie and Mr. Darcy get married. Jane and Mr. Bingley married. Three daughters are married in the course of a year. Mrs. Bennett is very pleased. The following Even though year, the, the younger one got married under scandalous circumstances. Scandalous. She's still pleased. Her daughter is married. Mm-hmm. Kitty is married to a respectable clergyman and has a handsome living and leaving Mary alone with her parents. Then Mr. Bennett dies. Mary. He dies. Yeah, I'm sorry. Pause. Mm-hmm. The dad is dead. He died. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mary and Mrs. Bennett move in with the Bingleys. That's her sister Jane's husband. Because remember, they're getting evicted because of the um intellect. Intel. What is called? Intel. The intel. Yes. The, intel. Mm-hmm. the intel is not very intelligent. So now the <laughs> grieving widow and the uh the daughter got to get out. Yeah. So that Collins can move in with Charlotte. Oof. You know, I Oof. actually think they didn't have to move out. He put them out. <laughs> he wanted to start his yes. life in his house. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So while Mrs. Bennett loved being with Jane, Mary hated it because Carolyn Bingley bullied her. And that's um, um, Jane's husband's sister, her sister-in-law. Jane's sister-in-law. Jane's sister-in-law. That's a good way to say it. Also, Lizzie's rival for Mr. Darcy back in the day. Although Darcy never wanted that handsome woman. (laughs) So Mary decides that she can't take it here. She don't want to be bullied. Her mother's getting on her nerves. She's been bullied by her mother and by Jane's sister-in-law. It's awful. So she decides she wants to go live with Lizzie. Lizzie warmly welcomes her. Lizzie has a son now. However, when Mr. Darcy returns with his sister, Georgiana, Mary felt like she didn't fit in. She didn't have that welcome feeling anymore. They were like a tight little circle and Anybody else? There was else? no room. There was yeah. no room for her. Exactly. So Mary felt it's time to return to Longbourn. So she sends out a letter to Charlotte and Charlotte says, come on, girl, hang out. <laughs> Mary looked forward to being with someone who understood her plight and wanted to see if Charlotte's theory had proved true. Was a marriage founded on self-interest rather than love the way to go for Mary? When Mary returned to Longbourn, the home was upgraded from when they lived there. 
almost unrecognizable. Charlotte, too, also had a young son, of which she was very proud. Mrs. Hill was also still at Longbourn. It would seem that Charlotte had gotten all she longed for. However, Mary did notice a few things. Charlotte didn't meet her husband's eyes. She didn't take his hand. And Mr. Collins was always staring into his wine. Mary, yeah, she didn't laugh at his jokes and stuff. Yeah. I and mean, that's really hard to watch. Uh, it was hard to read. <laughs> yeah, it was Mary, awkward. Yeah. Mary seemed to enjoy her time at Longbourn, though. She no longer had um, the teasing and the harassment. She didn't feel out of place. And Mary enjoyed Charlotte's company. She also noticed that Mr. Collins was rarely present and that the couple rarely spent time together. One day, Mary noticed Mr. Collins in the yard and he didn't seem happy. She yeah, he's alone by himself. He looks sad. Mm-hmm. She also noticed that whenever Mr. Collins tried to engage Charlotte, she did everything. She didn't reciprocate. In politeness, but she didn't um, reciprocate conversation. She didn't mm-hmm. reciprocate any affection that he showed us. It was just Charlotte avoided him. Mm-hmm. Mary could see his disheartened reply she could see that Mr. Collins was miserable. One day, Mary and Mr. Collins were in the library and at the same time, both wanted to respect the other's desire to be in the library. While discussing the situation later with Charlotte, she told Mary, Mrs. Collins, Mr. Collins could use another room. Mary told Charlotte she was content to be in the same room. She'd just stay at the other end. Charlotte says, with your own well-defined separate territories, it'll work out. It's That's how it's worked out for her. When the opportunity (laughs) arises, Mary asked Mrs. Hill if the Collins were well matched. Miss Hill replies that they don't argue. There's never any trouble between them. And Mary asks further, do they enjoy each other's company? (laughs) (laughs) Speak plain English, woman. I'm trying to see if I should marry somebody I don't love one day, okay? Yeah. Does it work? Yeah. Mrs. Hill tells her, you can tell you've never been married. They've been together a few years. What kind of answer is that? (laughs) Exactly. You've never been married. You can't expect them to behave like young lovers. However, Mary was like, but Lizzie, my and, sisters and they husbands behave like, mm-hmm. like they still like each other, like they like each other. They can't get enough of each other, in fact. Yeah. And they enjoyed each other's company. The Collins, mm-hmm. on the other hand, were hardly ever together. Mary began yeah. to think that Charlotte requested Mr. Collins complete a yard project to keep him as much distance as possible between them. She said, why don't you build a house for trees <laughs> and you can go be with the trees? That's what she told her husband. So she told him. And I'll, I'll, I'll get a chair in there mm-hmm. so I can come visit you in your house with your trees. Yeah. Mrs. Hill tells Mary that there are different ways to make a marriage work. If it's not what they both want, they won't be the first to find matrimony not quite what they expected and make the best of it. Mm. Mary is not trying to hear this. That don't sound reasonable to her. She soon realizes that Mr. Collins is miserable in this arrangement that he created himself. Mary initially thought that the Collins marriage was successful, as well as Charlotte's decision to marry him. But she had to reconsider because she hadn't considered Mr. Collins happiness. 
Yeah, she went there to see if Charlotte was happy. And Charlotte looked content. Now, Charlotte's house is laid out. Charlotte's house is just architectural digest. She gets the the polish for the wood specially mixed to be a certain fragrance that she likes. All her china is polished, okay? Her silverware, true silverware is polished. Her child is neat. She is... You know, she wearing designer head to toe, Louis Vuitton, Chanel. She is like, everything is great. And then the husband come in. They have spent days together, um, Charlotte and Mary. And Mary is like, well, maybe this is the life for me, marrying somebody out of practical need instead of love. But then Mr. Collins walk in and Charlotte zip up. He making jokes like, and then, and that's why it was red and blue all over. <laughs> and she like, mm, that's Charlotte. Mm. Yes, I heard you. I heard it. So now Mary's like, well, now I don't know. And then when she looks at Mr. Collins and how miserable he is, she's like, ah, I don't know. This ain't the life for me. So Mr. Collins quickly learned that Mary would not disturb him as he worked in a library and regularly came there to complete his work, knowing that he would not be disturbed by Mary. Then one day he ventured over to Mary, curious about the book she was reading. Mary told Mr. Collins she had begun an investigation into happy human happiness. She wanted to know what it was, how it could be achieved. She wanted to know where it came from and if we could possess it within ourselves she wanted to know how to recognize it if humans and if humans could live without it if they didn't have the privilege of experiencing it mr collins mm. was surprised by her interest and picked up some of the books with she that she was reading mary told mr collins the search for happiness individual happiness was one that concerned us all that embarrassed mr um collins a little bit he said some might say so and that he should consider it himself and walked away. After a few days, Mr. Collins offered Mary a book to consider in her investigation and her research about happiness. And this brought Mary untold joy as this was the first time that someone had showed an interest in her intellectual pursuits and she was astounded. She thought back to how indifferent he was to her when she made attempts to engage him back in the day. When they finally had a discussion, Mr. Collins applauded Mary's summary of what she had read and encouraged her to read more. The more Mary read, the more confident she became. The silence of the library eventually turned to animated conversation that even Charlotte noticed. One afternoon as they worked in the garden, Charlotte asked if Mr. Collins was boring. She was like, you know what? If he's really boring, you could just tell him to get out. And she said he could be so passionate on subjects that interest him that it could be fatiguing. Don't feel obliged to keep him in your company. Mary told Charlotte she wasn't the least bit bored. She was grateful for the time and interest that he gave her. She's like, Charlotte, you should join us. Yes. Mary then invited Charlotte to pursue some course of study as Mr. Collins makes it so easy and stimulating. Charlotte told her she didn't have time to go ahead and be studying with him because she had a house to see after, a child to see after. And Charlotte walked away and said, I got to see about dinner. Mary was like, oh, mm -hmm. I, I think she was a little hurt with me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. She didn't notice that she had offended. She had just realized that she had actually offended Charlotte. And she don't know what it is that she said that offended her. But by the way, she walked off. She knew she had offended her. The next time Mary and Mr. Collins interacted, he invited her to learn Greek. When Mr. Collins invited Mary to share her progress at the dinner table, Charlotte was obviously not interested. And that made Mary uncomfortable. She had progressed well, but when she presented before uh, Charlotte, she was fumbling over her words. When Mr. Collins mentioned he would be gone for the evening and that the ladies need to entertain themselves, Charlotte told Mary that she was going to bed early and Mary offered Mm -hmm. to assist her with anything. And Charlotte told her that she would uh, manage. She was very busy. Now, what is it? Are you busy or are you going to bed? (laughs) (laughs) It's obviously a problem here. Yeah, so Charlotte's starting to feel uncomfortable in her own home, and that's making Mary feel uncomfortable in Charlotte's home. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Mr. Collins is like, finally, someone to talk to. He is. Mary started yeah. to wonder if Charlotte was jealous, but she mm-hmm. removed, removed that from her mind, and she thought She's it like, was She's like, how such can anyone be jealous of a man they don't like? A ridiculous thought, right? She mm-hmm. felt that Charlotte would soon realize how silly that thought was and laugh about it later. But did like, girl, she? you don't even like your husband. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> what do you care if I spend time with him? Yes. Enter Mrs. Hill. Remember her? She's still here. Remember? She noticed that Mr. Collins was spending more time with Mary than with Mrs. Collins. And Mary mm-hmm. is like, what's the big deal? Charlotte and him don't even have these interests. Mrs. Mm-hmm. Hill warns her that she needs to consider that other people may draw conclusions rather they try or not. And I feel for Mary because they really are having an innocent relationship mm-hmm. where they share common interests. Yeah. Um, and he can't get anyone else in his life to care about anything he cares about. So he's like relieved, like, oh, I'm not crazy. This is interesting to someone. Yeah. And she feels the same way. But everyone else is like, why are you two people that don't nobody want talking to each other? Yep. So Mary realized that she has again allowed pleasure to overwhelm her judgment and immediately thinks about what happened with John Sparrow. Mary decided to give up her Greek lessons with Mr. Collins, as well as her time spent in the library. When she tells Mr. Collins that she wanted to give up her lessons so as not to bring unnecessary attention to them, Mr. Collins told Mary he couldn't allow their time to end without telling her how much he enjoyed it. He tells her of her life growing up and how of his life, of his life growing up, of how his father was verbally abusive towards him and how he knew he was awkward and tried to improve, but it didn't work. And now here he is with a home, a wife, a child, and he still feels alone. He realized Mm -hmm. that he and Mary had more in common than he thought and found himself truly happy when they spent time together. He tells her that he did not see what was right before his eyes when Mary tried to make herself visible to him. Suddenly, he turned away from the window and looked directly at Mary. But then you arrived and we began our lessons. I did not think much of it at first, but you were clever and eager and I liked that. I was easy in your presence. I found myself happy when we were together. Oh, sir, please don't say any more. It makes me so sad. Our minds are congenial. Our tastes are similar. 
I began to think how different my life might have been if I had been less foolish when I first arrived here looking for a wife. I did not understand then what makes a marriage work. I, I did not see what was right before my eyes. If I had not been so thoughtless or so hasty, I might have chosen someone who, in time, could perhaps have learned to love me. I might have chosen you. Mary could not speak. Two emotions rose up in her with such power that she closed her eyes, waiting for them to abate a little so that she could control herself again. The first was pity. It moved her very much to see Mr. Collins expose his secret self to her, to confess his loneliness and despair. She was no stranger to such sensations and they provoked in her the strongest response of fellow feeling. But at the same time, she found herself consumed with rage, with a fury so intense that she wanted to hammer her fists at him, to shout and scream, why were you so blind? Why didn't you see me when I did all I could to make you notice? Why did you not understand that of all of them, I was the only one, the only one who might have suited you? Why didn't you ask me? then I would be here and settled and secure and content and we would have lived better together than you do now because I would have been more grateful, kinder than she is. But she took a few deep breaths and looked up, certain of what had to be said. I am very touched, Mr. Collins, by your words. You speak so warmly that I cannot fail to be moved. Like you, I have not been used to much affection and for those reasons will always think fondly of what you have said. But I think you understand as well as I do that nothing can come of it. Yeah, Mary is absolutely high because at the time she felt strongly that she would make a better match, but no one listened to her. She tells Mr. Collins she's touched by the words but it's over. She tells him to talk to Charlotte the way he speaks to her. She has the, the capacity to become the wife that you want. And she leaves the room. All the while, Charlotte watches their animated conversation from the garden. Mm -hmm. At the next meal, Mary could clearly see that Charlotte is acting different. She touching her husband's hand, engaging with him, telling him stories laughing about their Sunday. Yes, yeah. laughing at the jokes. And she is even treating Mary as she did when they first arrived. Charlotte told Mary that Mr. Collins won't be in the library anymore because they're going to be in a yard together working. <laughs> <laughs> Days yeah. later, Mr. Collin announces the arrival of Lady Catherine. And while he won't be there to receive Lady Catherine, Mrs. Collin can do it herself. Mm -hmm. When Lady Remember, Lady Catherine is his um patron yeah. and he like worships her feet. Like in real life. <laughs> yeah. He yeah, it's gross. When Lady Catherine enters the picture, she immediately suggests that Mary has nothing going for herself and suggests mm -hmm. that being a governess would be the way to go. Mary boldly tells Lady Catherine that she does not aspire to that lifestyle. Lady Catherine ignores her and tells her that she has no choice. She can't go on living with her sisters. You know how foolish you look? <laughs> Much less stay with the Collins any longer after Lady Catherine <laughs> They're not leaves. even your blood. <laughs> Let me get you out of here and get you into somebody's house to teach their kids. Yeah, more than that blood. After Miss mm -hmm. Lady Catherine leaves, Mary asked Charlotte why she would put those thought in, thoughts in Lady Catherine's minds. And Charlotte is like, you know, that wasn't my intention, but 
the more I heard it, the more I thought that's a good idea. So I think Charlotte called Lady Catherine I over. I think so too. Yeah. I think she so She sent Lady too. Catherine a note and was like, this woman is in my house. Um, you need to do something to help me out, please. You're great at telling people what to do with their lives. Come tell her. I think so too. That was my conclusion. Yeah. Charlotte was like, and honestly, you can't really stay that much longer. <laughs> yeah. But I want yeah. you to stay, but you got to go. Mm-hmm. That's what she told her. And Charlotte tells Mary that the time she spent with her husband opened her eyes in a new way. And she realized that she could make some improvements within her marriage. And in order for them to keep improving, Mary can't be here. So Charlotte tells her. And I get that. But she also takes a little. She's like, I know that wasn't your intention. But seeing you laugh with my husband made me want to try to laugh with him a little. Mm -hmm. And actually, Mary is the one who told him you need to speak frankly with your wife Mm -hmm. and try to make a friend of her like you've done with me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but Mary, to her credit, doesn't try to defend herself. She does. She's very good at that. She just let them dogs lie and move Mm -hmm. on. Because um, really, what's the point? Yep. You don't want me here? Okay. Charlotte tells her she needs to figure out quickly be, um, where she's going to go because once Lady Catherine gets it in her mind, um, she is determined and you will be a governess some doggone where. And I was like, what that mean? They going to like arrest her and make her be a governess <laughs> yeah. in somebody's house? I don't get how somebody just make you take a job. Mm-hmm. Listen, Mary decides but. to write to her aunt and uncle in London and request a visit. And they reply back. And... They said they're glad to have her. Mrs. Hill is distressed to see Mary go, but she told her that one day she will come back here a married woman, and that is what she deserves. As Mary boarded her coach to leave for London, Mr. Collins helped her in and placed a small package on the seat beside her. When the coach drives off, Mary opens the package and saw the little Greek dictionary and a small piece of paper with one line of writing. In Mr. Collins' handwriting, it said, happiness depends on ourselves. And that brings us to the end of part one. Shall we take a quick break? All right, let's do it. And we're back. So, Kari... What are your initial thoughts on part one only? Okay. Focus. <laughs> so in this episode, we cover part one and part two. And I will say I picked up this book. I picked up the audio version free from Hoopla and I was not interested. Really? <laughs> I was just trying to get it done for the podcast. Wow. And in the first chapter, I was really taken in just as I was with Pride and Prejudice by <laughs> Jane Austen. Kudos to the author so far um, for following the same tone as the um, original inspiration and really respecting each character, being giving them new layers, but respecting the um, original source, the work that Jane Austen did. Um, it, it just flows brilliantly so far, um, I did finish the book today. And all I'll say is that about part one and part two, I am really into it. Alexis, <laughs> what are your thoughts of part one and part two of The Other Bennett Sister? Okay, so I immediately loved it because, like you said, it just jumps right into that story. It keeps the... um 
the characters in there. You, yeah, the tension yeah. that they have between each other. Yeah, you can mm-hmm. feel that she's just filling out the characters. She's giving them a mm-hmm. little more. Um, extending their life if you will that's what Mm -hmm. she's doing and that is really fun to read um hearing charlotte's role expanded that was really cool to me Mm -hmm. and it's like we now know why she acted the way she did what her motivation Mm -hmm. was and i totally love hearing that and then there are scenes i think about within the movie and in the book and i'm like Oh, that makes sense. That fits yeah. perfectly as a reason why this would have happened. So cool. I, so far, I'm really loving it and can't wait to cover the third and fourth part, part two next week. Yes. And part two of our The Other Bennett Sister episode. Well, that's it, you guys. Next week, join us Thursday for part two of The Other Bennett Sister. And thank you for listening to Lit Society. We'll see you next Thursday. Lit Society. I don't know. I'm speaking like a child show host. Um, Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love you too. We love y'all too. If you've enjoyed what you've just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time... Read something. something.